Hunting is not easy. It never has been. It takes dedication, motivation, a lot of patience, and quality gear. If you manage a food plot, put up stands, or need just one more game camera, we can help at MidwayUSA.com. We opened our doors in 1977 and continue to put customers first by offering super fast, same day shipping. For just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. When it comes to hunting boots, how many pairs does one man need? Well, how many seasons are there? Turkey season? Deer season? Duck season? Dove season? Honey, how many pairs of boots does one man need? At least one more pair. For just about everything for hunting, go to MidwayUSA.com. I'm Larry Potterfield with Midway USA. Thanks for your business. Hey, I just got back from lunch. Did you finish that report yet? Uh, well, not exactly. I'm still working on it. I'm not finished just yet. Uh, I got a little sidetracked, but I will get them to you first thing this afternoon. <laughs> it is first thing this afternoon. Well, yeah, I, I understand that, but I mean, I, I am working on it. But I'll have, I'll what do you mean that the report isn't finished yet? I'm, I'm still in the process of working on it. I've just been a little distracted. Just distracted? Our meeting starts in an hour. Have it. You, you no no. What were you doing? Were you listening to another hunting podcast again? I swear, I give the staff in this office the freedom to do whatever they want to do as long as they meet a deadline. That is the first bullet underneath your job description. Pays attention to detail and deadline and deadline. Dude, are you even listening to me right now? Welcome to episode 67 of the Whitetail Extraction Podcast. My name's Austin, and I'm all alone tonight. <laughs> I'm going to keep this one short, guys. This is a really exciting episode. Timber Ninja Outdoors. You guys have seen the title. They are the creators of the carbon fiber climbing sticks. These things are super light, super awesome. You know, I'm just going to let us get right into this and enjoy the episode, guys. All right, guys, welcome back. Boys and girls, we have a special guest for you tonight. We have Mr. Jason Red with Timber Ninja Outdoors. This man has the baddest, lightest, nicest stick <laughs> out there today. <laughs> Carbon fiber. You know what? Let me not ruin it. Jason, what's going on, man? How you doing today? Oh, uh, man, I'm doing very well. That was a great introduction. Um, <laughs> wow. I've got a lot of buddies that they listen to this. They're going to get a really good kick out of that. So <laughs> kudos to you for that. Uh, uh, I just I'm, I'm I doing like well. to let it float. <laughs> yeah, that's how we should be. Yeah. So you are out of North Carolina, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, the mountains of Western North Carolina, Asheville. Nice. Asheville, North Carolina. Yeah. Nice. The, some of the biggest mountains on the east coast of Mississippi River. Cool. Nothing well, wrong with that. I, no, definitely nothing wrong with that. We have a lot of that same kind of terrain north of us that we love to hunt. We love to explore. So we're definitely going to go into that later on. But before that, why don't we get a little introduction in from you, kind of who you are, where you reign from, what you do, and and all that good stuff, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. Um so I actually I'm not from here. I'm from the complete opposite. I'm from the Mississippi Delta. I'm from Arkansas. Okay. And um, 
Yeah, that's where I was born and raised, and I moved out here in 2009. Uh, you know, I grew up hunting river bottoms and swamps of of uh, Arkansas as a duck guide out there for a while growing up, and you know, always hunted public land, but got into doing a lot more adventures and consistently still hunting. But I, you know, I've been a um, you know, a pro level cyclist, uh, ultra runner, rock climber, um, just an overall adventure seeker. And, um, you know, and where I, re- you know, that's kind of where I base most of my hunting style is on adventure based hunting. I like traveling around, finding new places. Specifically, I like to focus on mountain terrain because it's just where I, I just love hunting in the mountains, you know, and, you know, Midwest, you know, uh, over to North Carolina um, for whitetail, and I do some hunting out west. And like I was talking to you guys before we mic'd up, uh, I'll be heading to Alaska on Wednesday. You know, today is uh, what is it? July thirtieth. So yes, on the fifth, I'll be heading to Alaska for my first trip up there. But um, yeah, man, just really enjoy chasing adventures and chasing critters and having a good time. And you know. I, some people in the whitetail hunting industry know of us now because, you know, our company, Timberlands Outdoors, which is a um, mobile hunting products company uh, focusing on innovative products. And our first product release, which people have seen, is our carbon fiber climbing sticks. So, yeah, that's <laughs> about about me. That is one way to make a blast into the industry. <laughs> that's one yeah. hell of an entrance, my man. <laughs> yeah, kind of, man. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, it's kind of a blessing and a curse. You know, there's people that are a little subjective to some, you know, new material. Yeah, uh, but you know, kind of like I displayed a little bit in my background. I, I've used the, this material and what I do, and uh, and also I didn't note that I also own a safety company so i represent manufacturers of safety products that we sell through wholesale distribution that go into the end users people that actually use the product so you know in a way kind of a well-rounded yeah um i'm a jack of all trades a master of zero i will go ahead and tell you that (laughs) oh that's great Definitely heard you say that one before as well. That's that's good. I I, I will use that moving forward because uh, I believe there was a saying somewhere out there that that went similar to that about you know you should know a little bit about everything but not everything about one thing you know something like that. And I think yeah. that goes well with uh, being well rounded and in you know in business and in hunting and all you know especially I think hunting um, it's nice to be well rounded. If you had one trick of the trade that you only knew what you were doing on ag field and then you know maybe you take a a life-changing job or something and you're thrown in the the hills of north carolina or say you come from arkansas and you get thrown in the hills of north carolina you gotta adapt right so yeah being well-rounded definitely plays a factor there oh i think it does man i think if people are put themselves out there a little bit to be exposed to more things and be humbled. It's what I always say. I mean, I, I do some other things that humble me on a regular basis because it's the only way we can grow is if we keep challenging ourselves. So like, you know, if you're a hunter 
if you're changing your terrain, you're learning and being put in different situations because, you know, like let's break down whitetail hunting. I mean, as far as regional base, I mean, whitetails live from the desert. I mean, they pretty much live in every region of the United States to a degree. So like if you're like a serious whitetail hunter and you put yourself in those environments, you always get humbled and, but you also always, you know, potentially learn something more and overcome that and become a better, more rounded person and hunter, you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I think it's a good key in life, uh, is to consistently get humbled that way. You keep growing. If not, you get stagnant and sometimes the ego comes in there too, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you're, you're pretty humble about your sticks. I mean, you, that was a great introduction there. And, you know, Chucky's pretty good at bringing people in. But, <laughs> you know, speaking of your sticks, let's get into the sticks a little bit and we'll get into hunting a little bit later, you know? Yeah. You, you have Timber Ninja Outdoors and you have this new revolutionary stick. It's made of carbon fiber. You know, it's a double step. And like you said earlier, people are kind of, um, hesitant because it's a new material. I think everybody's kind of used to that aluminum square tubing, lone wolf style, or maybe they just have permanent sets. You know, let's get into the carbon fiber stick a little bit. How did you kind of come up with that idea and what kind of material you wanted to use in that whole gamut? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I, I definitely, I came up hunting public land since I was essentially seven years old. Mm-hmm. And like I mentioned to you guys earlier, I just turned 40 on the 26th of July. So I've been doing it for a little bit and seen a lot of progressions. And, um, I, 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 I've said this numerous times, like, you know, with the lone wolf product, that was like the essentially standard for the first barrier, I guess, for innovation. And, you know, a lot of people have made some tweaks on that, but there's never been anything that really stepped outside that box. People were saying, using the same materials and whatnot. And, you know, if you're looking to go lighter, quieter, um, you know, et cetera, you have to kind of change the game because, you know, if you're using the same components, you just, if you want to go lighter, for instance, you just have to make them smaller or you drill holes in them or you do different things. So I was just, you know, playing with my system, uh, as I developed as a backpack hunter. And that's prim- primarily what I do. I do a lot of, you know, southern in the mountains. I do a lot of backpack style hunting because most of the animals I kill are usually going to be, you know, a couple miles out. So dragging them out is not an option. So you have to pack them out. Yeah. So, you know, to do that, if, especially if you're back and you're solo, like, which I, I do prefer to hunt solo. It's kind of my thing. Um, you know, I like to get stuff out as quickly as possible and maybe in one setting and be able to move through the terrain that we live in. So having compact, lightweight stuff and it's quiet makes you a more stealthy person. And so, um, I, you know, I've mentioned this a few times, like carbon fiber is not new to the hunting industry. Mm-hmm. Old man released, uh, carbon fiber climbing stands back in, I can't remember if it's the late nineties, early two thousands, somewhere around there, but if you Google it, you can find it. Oh man. And, um, so it was already in the industry at some point, but I just never understood why nobody really took that and ran with it. Yeah. It never um, really took off, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I had talked to, uh, I believe his name is John. He's currently the president of TMA, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, um, his company was bought out, uh, you know, a, 
old man was bought out and they didn't continue with the carbon fiber product segment. But, you know, and they were having their products done overseas in Europe, I believe. And he said, you know, to me, when I talked to him, it was a pretty profitable uh, product for them. But, you know, the still the technology with carbon fiber back then isn't where it is now. Right. It's not as widely used. So, um, I, yeah, so nobody really took off with that. And, you know, a lot of it comes at, you know, it's, there's a cost of entry to start playing and understanding and developing products that are made of carbon fiber. Because uh, I talked about this last night on the Vitals live thing I did is you can buy a 20 inch stick of aluminum tubing for, you know, let's say retail price, $8. Right. That, that's not the case with carbon fiber. So <laughs> no, if sure. you screw it, you screw it up, you know, it gets in your pocket pretty quick. And, it, and it's not as easy as aluminum, like just drilling holes and slapping the steps on and calling it good. You know, there, there's, there is some innovation and engineering that has to go into it for it to be, um, a very durable and safe product. And, uh, and I learned it the hard way. I started just like we just talked about, started from scratch doing it at the house. And, but I had some guidance from some of my customers through my day job that deal with carbon fiber to help out and, you know, ultimately continue to work with them. And, you know, we, we developed into what we have now, which is a, uh, in my opinion, it's a pretty superior product from a safety and durability perspective. Because, I mean, if you, anybody's followed us, you see we're pretty, transparent with our testing and everything that we've done third party and right you know it's it, they're legit um and i'm not saying it to be um conceited but it's just you know the numbers are there i mean our product was supposed to from a in my opinion like weight load is great right 300 right. pounds we do a two two times safety factor 600 pounds it surpasses right. you know the 600 pound mark but the thing that really uh comes in you know from my perspective is durability and that's what that in the ASTM standard the repetitive load testing where they um apply 300 pounds of pressure to your steps for for a two-step stick under the standard it's a thousand repetitions ours made it to 4005 and they just quit because they were tired and like <laughs> they've been there for five hours doing it and so like that just proves to me as a, a manufacturer and also from a product liability perspective like this is a very durable product, you know, and, and I haven't talked about this and we're going to put some material together about this, but we used our single stick through all the testing and you don't have to do that. You can submit a stick for each testing standard. Um, but what we did, and I went down there for this, I left during the repetitive motion test because I couldn't be down there when I didn't get back home, but we did the uh, two times safety factor and then we did repetitive motion tests. And then they took, turned around and then tested that same step to failure, uh, after that. And it still, uh, was stood up to, it was like 665 pounds after all of that. So, wow. I mean, in my, in my eyes, and I'm not trying to like just, you know, be cocky about it, but it just proves like how, how durable materials and products that we put together are. And that, and, and that's, that's our ethos. You know, we wanted to have the, most innovative and um, safe products in the industry. And, you know, uh, I think we're doing a good job, but we're, we're going to consistently improve on that. Like, you know, we're not stopping where we're at right now for sure. No, absolutely. And, you know, 
hearing that kind of testing to me that makes me feel a hundred percent more confident confident yeah. and then right off the get-go i mean it is a new product and you know you can be wary and typically me when 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 a product comes out i like to wait a year or two and see what kind of reviews and things come out but you know something like that 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 really kind of blows my mind a little bit as yeah. far as testing goes and especially since you use the same stick for all of the yeah. tests that's yeah. that's incredible man and take it there too i mean nobody else is out there telling you about the tests that are getting done right you know nobody else is making you feel confident about it and i get it you're kind of the new kid on the block and you have to earn your place but at the same time that's a pretty ballsy move, you know, to go out yeah. there and get that third testing, third party testing done and, and put those numbers out there for the public to see. And, and like you said, it's, it's nothing about being cocky or, you know, being self-centered. It's, it's the reality. They're facts. I mean, these are statistics that you're putting out that your product performs and it's going to perform time after time. And third party testing, I mean, that tells you a lot, to be honest. I, I think. When I look at a lot of people's products, I that's what I want to look at more than just some of the reviews. Because some of the reviews you get, they're just, you know, you, you get some good, you got to, what my theory is, throw away the top 10% and bottom 10% of the reviews and look at the guys that actually put some time and detail into them. But, yeah, you know. Yeah, and you don't know how much gets skewed these days, man. I mean, right. the problem with... And from my safety background, and there's a podcast about to get released next week. We talk about safety, and this I mean, it may come off negative and offend some people uh, that are manufacturers. But if you aren't sharing the information that you have, are you really doing? Because there's no standard. There's nothing that can, you know, you the three of us today can start manufacturing a product, and we could. You know, let's say our combined weight was 400 pounds. We could all step on one stick and or one step and say it didn't fail and call it good and put 300 pound weight rating on it, right? Right. Um, but there's nothing to back that up. And and like we did that in the beginning, but like I want you know, there's a reason OSHA exists. You know, if anybody's familiar that works in industry, oh, yeah. OSHA is there to <laughs> provide <laughs> guidelines for manufacturers and employers to make sure everybody's holding their standard for their safety for their employees. Um, there's a reason the IRS, you know, I don't like the IRS, you know, I'm a business <laughs> owner, you know, to a degree, but there's a reason that there's, there has to be a secondary party to audit your books of how you're spending your money and, you know, paying your taxes. Right. Certainly. And right now in the hunting industry, it's a voluntary, you know, uh, process. And, and even for my safety background, for fall protection, it was semi-voluntary for a long time, but up until the last like five years, where it's mandatory that you have to have third-party testing on your products to be selling products. Uh, well, I mean, at the end of the day, there's nothing keeping you from doing that because it's all on your own liability, and yeah. you know, and there's insurance involved. You know, like you don't have to have insurance to start selling products that keep people safe at heights you know um but it's a good thing to have you know i mean it's a good thing for the user because a guy's comp you know a guy starting a company uh, you know let's say he has sixty thousand dollars in the bank and starts a company if he doesn't have insurance and you fall and get hurt like where's the money gonna come from like if their their total wealth is like let's even say a hundred thousand dollars and you know, you break your back or whatever in the fall, which is a 
common thing that can happen, you know, who, where's that money going to come from to take care of you? And that's, that's where insurance is very important. And, um, and I, I don't really feel that's talked about enough. And it's, it is expensive. I mean, as a startup company, it's like if you guys remember when you were 16 getting your driver's license, what insurance cost until the time you were 25, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's an experience. It's an experience thing. And that's the same thing with insurance as a new startup company is like we pay a lot of money in insurance. Um, as a startup company until we prove ourselves that, you know, regardless of our tests, like we have to prove ourselves that our, our products aren't failing and people are getting injured, you know, to get a rate down. Absolutely. So yeah, it, it, it is interesting. And like, I'm not trying to be negative there against anybody else, but this is stuff that I think more consumers should take into consideration before they buy products based on what we were talking about earlier with just somebody's review, you know, yep. like who is that company and what are they doing and how are they structured? I think that is very important. That's a great point to make. Um, and, and I totally agree with you. I think sometimes when I look at a product, I may even just immediately trust them based on the name of the product. You know, I mean, some companies have been out there. They've been in the business for so long. You just kind of acquire a false sense of trust without actually doing the background work or the legwork to earn that trust for that company. You're just like, eh, they've been, they've been doing this forever. That, that's a safe product, but nobody's yeah. out there proving that it's safe. You know, they throw a weight limit on it, but I mean, hell, 300 pounds, you know, even at, at some places that, that seems like everybody just throws 300 pounds on there. Everybody's at that 300 pounds. You know what I mean? Mark. Yeah. Yeah. It's the gold because standard. That's what, everybody, that's what everybody recognizes. But yeah. you know, you do see people. So let, let me back up here and like kind of cover some bases though. Mm-hmm. If, if, if you were an established company and you were selling, um, you were selling into big box stores and you were a member of TMA, you have to have the third party testing because the big box store is not going to take you on. Right. Uh, and cause they need that liability too, right? Because, sure. um, crap rolls downhill and yep. everybody, when something ugly happens, everybody gets, when when lawyers get involved, they want to sue everybody because yeah. they want their money because that's yeah. how they get paid, right? Um, but that if you're selling direct consumer these days, that's not necessarily the case. And our model was we don't have any intentions of selling to big box stores, so we we're not a member of TMA. But from my background and experience, I looked at like who is who has some standards in this industry. And we wanted to work and comply with that. So we worked with facilities, third party facilities that do most of the testing for TMA. And, you know, I'm not going to say we won't ever be in TMA. There are some things I don't necessarily agree with that from my perspective, what they do, like if you sell tree stands, you have to include a safety harness. But I see some safety harnesses out there from being a fall protection specialist. That I wouldn't put somebody in, and especially if they hadn't been properly trained. Because yeah. if you put a safety harness on with six foot, you know, you, you take a, uh, a tether, uh, and you take a fall, uh, six foot fall, and you, you're, you're essentially putting 1800 pounds of force on your body if you're an average sized male. And if that person's not properly fitted for that safety harness, it's going to deliver a lot of shock to the body. So like, I don't necessarily agree with all that. Um, so we, you know, I, and I'm not saying it's bad. I think it's great to include the safety harness from the liability perspective for the manufacturer, you know, but you know, there's some areas there that I just don't 
I'm not ready to be a member of TNA, but I would, you know, someday I'd hope to, and hopefully maybe at some point be a voice to help out. But I do feel that, you know, they use ASTM for their standards. Um, and we use ASTM and, you know, safety and PPE for what I do for a day job. And so if I can utilize that same lab to test our products on the standards, that's the best there is right now, right? So yeah. why not test their products? Yeah, that's a no-brainer for you to do that. I mean, why not switch over to that? And I don't mean to back up here for a second, but yeah, I just kind of wanted to go – I don't want to get down a rabbit hole, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Those freaking <laughs> safety harnesses that it, they include <laughs> oh, with these tree stands. Oh, my God. Have you ever taken one of those out of the package? Complete it's so garbage. confusing. Yeah. In general, oh, just to even have someone put it on correctly, yes. let alone uh, have it fit them, like you said. You know, yeah, it, it's tough, man. Like I train people in manufacturing facilities, you know, all the time on on this. Like it doesn't say anywhere in the instructions that you should grab the back of the harness where it meets the corner of your back and shake it to get everything situated like it is. Like if you grab that harness from that back point and you shake it. The leg loops and everything get out there. But if you don't know that, it's like trying to figure out a puzzle, right? Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> yeah. It's bad. I mean? It comes in a ball, yeah. and then you're, and, it's all tangled. It's horrible. Yeah. And then if you, if you don't get it, you know, the proper way of getting it tight, you know, you, you need to get it tight up around your legs with the leg loops to where you pretty much can get a thumb in there. If not, if it's just hanging on and you're saying, I'm good, in the event of a fall, you could go head down and come out of that thing. Um, or, if you take a shock load, everything goes up into your crotch and, you know, you're singing a different tune at church on Ouch. Sunday, you know, like <laughs> yeah. that's the, re- that's the reality of what I explain to people that are, when I do, um, new fall protection training for, um, contractors and stuff like that is like, this is, if you're not doing it right and taking the times at time in the morning to properly get your stuff put on right, this is what it's going to do. But, and, and outside of that is, I guess to your point, Austin is you're also just getting a bunch of webbing. Yeah. Webbing coming tight, you know, like, you know, my fall protection harnesses that we sell in, um, you know, general industry, I mean, they're super, they're padded. They have all this stuff that makes it a lot more comfortable wear every day. And also it helps you in the event of a fall where you're taking that, that force, you know? Yeah. It's not cutting off circulation as much as just regular webbing, like you said. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, and I know there's some people that are, that I've talked to that do complain about that. It's like, well, I just got to throw this in there. But then where are you also getting that stuff, man? So, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of factors, but at least they're doing something better than where I came from. Like as a kid, like when I was growing up hunting in the eighties and early nineties, nobody even wore a harness of any yes. sort. Like I, yeah. That was my next I, comment. Like at least <laughs> it's a step up from not wearing a harness. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. at least it's a step up. And, you know, I've learned from fall protection. And also for being a rock climber, like the variances of, of what I feel is more comfortable with me and, and what I feel is safe when it comes to hunting. And, um, you know, I personally use a, um, I use, I primarily hunt out of a lock on stand mm-hmm. and I, I use a climbing harness with a, uh, dynamic tether, um, for a couple of reasons. You know, I, I will put slack in the tether where I can turn it around. Right. But, if you're out there by yourself and you're attached between your shoulders and you have a fall, you know, you got to think about self-rescue. Um, and sorry if we're getting that on safety perspective here, but you're okay, um, man. 
if you're just hanging there for hours, there's a thing called suspension trauma where uh, the leg loops and all your weights on those leg loops starts cutting off the blood to your carotid arteries, and essentially you can die from that. Right. So it's a lot easy to self-rescue from a climbing harness, even though if you take a fall, you'll get spun around or whatever, um, but at least the tether's mounted in front of you, and you can somewhat jug up the tree, you know, grab the tree a little bit better to cut the rope and shimmy down in a very, you know, that's a very um, extreme emergency rescue situation if you have to do that. But I, I, I wouldn't, I don't want myself to fall with something attached behind my back unless you have, they do make these uh, leg loops that can attach to like a harness that attaches behind the back that you can drop down to step in to relieve that pressure hmm. to keep you from having suspension trauma. But Great if you look idea. it up in OSHA, that's, that is a cause of death in some fall protect, uh, falls. Yeah, I know you don't have a whole ton of time either if you're hanging there just by the the leg loops and you have that pressure on there. I know you don't have a whole ton of time to be able to do that before no, it, uh, you know it cuts your circulation yeah, it, off and can kill you. It, var- it varies between people and stuff like that, but it, it is an issue and even think about how you're going to get yourself out of there, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But ultimately, it's just, let's be cautious and not fall, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's the idea. Yeah. yeah, I think that's one of the, the biggest reasons that I went to a saddle, the, the most intriguing thing. Um, because, and it, what's funny is, when I went back from a saddle to a lock-on, I never mm-hmm. felt as unsafe as I did, you know, um, because I was perfectly comfortable before that, but... Once you hang in a saddle and you're always connected to the tree and you're just kind of leaning off, then you go back to where you're now standing on a a platform where you're supporting your whole weight, you know, rather than the saddle supporting your weight. It kind of right. kind of spooked me a little bit. It was weird getting used to that going back and forth. I know some guys talk about it. They do it back and forth. And I, I personally, I don't know if I could. I don't know if I could do it anymore. I mean, I, I ended up selling my stand. I was like, I can't do that. I mean, I can sit in a ladder stand just fine. I've done that. But that lock-on scared me. I don't know what it was, but after it, it was like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's a Just lot can't. of exposure, man. And um, I think from a safety perspective, I mean, if you're doing the right things, they're all just safe, right? Like, right. Sure. If you have all the safety protocols in there, um, even if you do take a fall and a lock-on, you're going to be safe. But, you know, the thing that gets... um confusing is like when people talk about testing a saddle and in the fall protection world we would call a saddle a restraint because you're you're not putting any rope into the system or you know let's call it let's say tether that's what most people are familiar with mm-hmm. you don't have enough slack in that system where you're actually taking a fall if mm-hmm. your platform if you're tight under tension in a saddle and your platform was to fail you're just going to swing into the tree so you're not putting a shock load on anything right so so there's an argument of like, well, what's right testing for a saddle? Um, well, you can't test it to like a fall protection standard because you're not ever in a fall protection scenario. You're more in a, in a restraint scenario. The same way, like if you're ridden in a uh, man lift or anything, they have a restraint in there that keeps you inside that thing. Right. Um, once you go outside that, that becomes a fall protection scenario. Yeah. So that, you know, uh, if, uh, we talked about this the other night when we were talking about safety, but if you go up a tree and you're using a lineman's belt and you get up to where you're using a saddle 
I mean, or even a a uh, lock on. You, if you stay in that tether, I mean, in that lineman's belt, and then you attach your tether and you connect the mat, you're a hundred percent in a safety perspective the whole time, right? Because yeah. you always have a system and you're transferring one system to the other. So you're good to go. Uh, but if you're concerned about slacking the system and taking a fall, a saddle is, you know, necessarily it is safer because there's no rope. You're not going to actually take a fall. So the products you're using are going to take less load. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, yeah. it makes total sense, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad Sorry that nerd we went- out, nerd out. On the safety, but- <laughs> no, it's a big deal for us. Like we're totally into safety and like being safe. And I know I was on a trip. We talked about a couple times where a buddy of mine actually fell out and was suspending from a harness um, when his uh, climbing stand failed him. And it's scary. It's really scary thought. And I know guys that climb out there without a safety harness, and I give them all kinds of shit um, because it's just, it's insane. So safety's huge with us. So I appreciate the whole first part of this entire segment because yeah. people need to realize how important it is. Absolutely. That's I think I you'd agree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. and it comes down, you know, to that, uh, the nightmare of a lock on stand failures that trap doors on you. Yep. And mm-hmm. if that product's not been tested to the right standards, that can be a reality because we've all seen, if any of anybody follows any type of hunting group forums, you see pictures of cracked or failed systems yep. and lock on. So like that's where the repetitive type motion tests come into play because it can show what can happen over long term, you know. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, like you can have all this stuff done, but shit can still happen. Like you can have a QC problem that the manufacturer just didn't catch. I mean, things just happen, but that's why it's so important for people to have a redundancy in their safety. Don't rely upon whatever gear you're using as a, what I'm saying here, like a saddle. I mean, a saddle is tough because that is your safety piece, right? Right. Mm-hmm. If you're in a lock-on stand um, or a platform, don't think that's your first level of safety. I mean, it is your first level, but have a redundancy to it. So, like, have some type of Tether, saddle, ball, protection harness, or whatever there to back you up. Absolutely. And that's key. that. That's clutch, in yeah. my opinion. Two is one, one is none, man. Yeah. Exactly. It's Navy yeah. SEAL way. Yeah. I think also having a good plan. Um, I know a lot of times when I hung or hunted out of my hang-on, I always had a plan in mind. You know, if something were to fail or something to happen, you know, I'm looking at where my tether's set up at the, the top of the tree, where it's attached, how I'm attaching it. So if I do take a fall is it going to bring me towards my sticks am i going to be able to reach my my platform um you know just kind of having a plan when you're setting up and hunting is is also i think pretty important oh dude have a, you got to have a plan and a system and even if you get rushed you got to make sure that system is 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 key and yeah. you know as a rock climber we take this stuff so serious cuz obviously the consequences can be higher yeah but really they're not like at 20 foot is when things can get really serious. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you go t- 20 to 3,000 feet. And what three soloist climbers talk about is danger zone happens after 20. Because at 3,000, if they fall off a wall, they're going to evaporate when they hit the ground, right? Yep. Whereas if you fall at ab- above 20, you're going to you potentially get hurt and just, let's say, you know, this is 
morbid, but you just bleed out or something. Yeah, or suffer. You, you have to suffer. You know, so most people want to die at much higher. But it's also, you know, and what we teach in fall protection and climbing is inspecting your gear on a constant basis. And I know I'm, I'm not the best. Like, it's not like I go out and check everything on my sticks and everything, but we have to run through these protocols as the users to make sure our stuff is safe. You know, like I am about to release a video about proper inspection of not just sticks and stands, but also everything. Cause I see a lot of people asking these groups about see pictures like, is this rope safe? Just cause it's starting to fray. Well, you know, you have to understand what type of rope you're using and, you know, like in webbing and things like that, what is safe buckles and all that. So we are going to release a video just kind of covering some of that to help other people, even those cards that we don't sell. But I think it's something that should be understandable because just because your rope is frayed and you're using, let's say, most people are using Oplux right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's a common thing. It has a sheath on the outside that protects the core that is really your safety line. Right. So, you know, the key, you know, from a climbing perspective, when you see, we call it core shot. If you can see that core, that's when that r- rope or that section of rope needs to be retired. Uh, just because it's frayed, that's fine. That's It's doing its job. But when you start seeing that core, it's time you take it out. So, I mean, that, I just brought that up real quick because that's the one I see the most. Yeah. Well, let's, let's get, let's get into your products as well. So sure. we, we yeah, talked sure. about the carbon stick, but we didn't really give any details on them. So, um, why don't you go ahead and let us know what you offer as far as like size of sticks, um, and kind of what they look like, if you don't mind. Uh, so we have, we have essentially three different stick options currently we have uh our flagship product is our 20 inch two-step carbon fiber stick uh it weighs in at 1.2 pounds we have a 24 inch um two-step that weighs in at 1.4 pounds then we also have a micro one step for the guys that are into um Single sticking, you know, mm-hmm. that do like the the rope climbing, uh, like the rope climb stuff, yeah. and it's not a big seller for us. And you know, at some point, we'll probably just. Only reason we keep we we've have that is because the same length of tube that we use ten inch uh, is what's going to be on camera arm. So it's easy for material for us. Um, but and we also offer uh, a retractable. Uh, wire rope aider mm-hmm. in our products that's an option so essentially for a 20 inch stick you get another 14 inches of climbing height but with only a few extra ounces of weight so essentially you get 34 inches of climbing height with a 20 inch stick yeah i'm um, crazy down for that man you know yeah it, it's cool i mean it does work it works out and that's that's been a big seller for us is that, is that specific model. Yeah. I think what's amazing about carbon fiber and what you're doing is what you just said. The way that you can go from a product that's um, short to long and not give up additional weight. I mean, like 0.2 pounds to go from the shorter <laughs> option to the longer option. Yeah. That's insane. That's absolutely yeah. insanity. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. Like, um, you know, with our with our twenty four inch stick with the air, you get almost you know right at right at forty inches. 
Yeah, 40 inches. Uh, so, you know, at 1.6 pounds. So wow. that, I, we talked about this last line, that vitals thing is like, you know, we do have a premium price product because of the carbon fiber, but when you start equating out the math for dollars per inch of climbing, like it's not, it, it really isn't that bad. And I'm not just saying that try to sell it, but it is what it is and it really isn't. And we have a variance of, you know, I, I've never, I don't hunt very high. So like we designed the 20 inches based on like my style of hunting. That was my product that I never had intentions of selling. I just started making it for myself because right. I wanted a lighter, more compact system. And I like the 20 inch and, you know, I can do everything I need to do with four sticks, but there are some instances that I get into and especially if I start hunting lower terrain sometimes and older mature, um, timber where you don't have some branch structure to really hide your profile. Uh, sometimes I have to move around and get up. So like adding that aider in there allowed us to do that to be able to expand or contract our climbing distance. Um, and also keep the, our products, you know, from getting hung up on stuff. That's the thing that I'm a stickler about. Like I want stuff when it goes in my back, not to get hung up in branches and vines and all that. So absolutely that's we did the re- retractable. Uh, aider, but you know, another thing that you know about carbon fiber is it's quieter than aluminum. You know, it's not like dead silent, don't get me wrong, but it is definitely not that if you hit the aluminum with your carabiner, you hear that distinctive ding that's very unnatural. It's a very dead tone if you hit it, and also it doesn't hold any type of cold or heat. So, like, if you have really cold hands, you know, and a mid to late season hunt depending on your region we've all witnessed this you get there and it's you don't want to touch your sticks and it make your hands are swollen already and it's hard to handle stuff and when you touch something colder your hand it just it's just worse it's kind of like you know you have an animal coming in and you have to reach over and grab a aluminum rising bow i mean i think we've probably all been there if we <laughs> use especially thinner thinner type gloves yeah yeah, that's the worst feeling in the world, honestly, grabbing that. <laughs> or if you have to hold it for some extended period of time. Oh, it's, my oh goodness. it's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. But I really like the idea of the retractable aider. I use a couple of aiders myself, just single steps or just similar to your stick. I just kind of throw them on my stick. And one has one that's permanently attached to it. But you know what? <clears throat> I really enjoy the retractable side of it because, you know, going in and walking into the woods and stuff, I've had – my stuff get hung up several times and you know it's just a pain in the butt and then next thing you know i'm trying to turn around and get un- untangled and everything like that so actually having it up inside i'm, I'm pretty sure it's up inside the stick isn't it yeah. yeah yeah it goes all the way up we have a little loop that hangs out it's about uh i think it's about three inches yeah but you know how i how i use that is that place that loop going down in my pack so yeah. It's covered anyway, so yeah. it, it, it's not a problem. Um, but you know, if you have all this stuff hanging out on the outside where some aiders you have to wrap around and stuff, like That's it, there is potential. Mm-hmm. It's not, I'm not saying it doesn't all, I'm not saying it always happens, but I just look at it as like there is a potential that can happen and we're trying to eliminate the best we can. Yeah. I mean, I could have, we could have designed it where you, there was only like an inch hanging out, but then you're losing space because essentially when you push it up, it has to go only as far as the Versa button right. before it's, you know, so like 
then it's like, well, I've only got a six inch additional step. And that may be, you know, that could be something people are into, but, uh, I had a guy send me a, he chose not to retract his and just, you know, had this method that he did where, you know, you really, he did a good job of concealing it, but I, I just assumed to push it up and I only use one aider in my set of sticks personally. Mm-hmm. That bottom and stick. Typically. The bottom step, and that's yeah. what most yeah. people I found. Most people are uh, a one eighter. Yeah, that's uh, typically how I people, am. People, but it is surprising how many people do all their sticks. I had a guy, you know, he placed order for five with all with eighters and sent me a message saying he's ordering. Oh know, god, that's scary in the dark, more. man. <laughs> yeah, it's like man, that dude's gonna be like he's hunting some telephone poles or something. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I tried um, all eighters on all of my sticks previously, and, you know, the first time doing it in the dark, that just, it, it lost me. Now, I carry one additional one in my pack, but I keep the one on my stick all the time, and that's just that first stick, typically. If I really need to get up high, I do the second stick, but I don't want to be looking for that eighter when I'm coming down. Well, so, that, that's a, you bring up a great point, and if you see ours, ours are not covered in black. Uh, coding mm-hmm. because that was a factor. I, you know, I'm sure you guys know who Taylor Chamberlain is. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so Taylor's <laughs> had our stick since March, and um, you know, he did a a little DIY thing for your steps of putting like a reflective um, paint pen on the steps so you can see them coming down at night. Oh, and he and Adrian both were like, "Hey, you know, the Ader needs to be." A little more visible, so when you hit it with your headlamp, you can see where it is, and that's the reason we have kept it. Um, you know, it's coated, but it's it, it's still silver. That way, when you hit it with your headlamp at night, you can see it coming down a little better than you could a black one. Yeah, no, yeah. I definitely appreciate that that yeah. aspect yeah. of it. I would say Taylor Chamberlain probably gives you a better repetitive testing than any lab. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He hunts more than anybody. He's, you know, it's funny, like. If anybody wants to, he's a big old boy. Yeah, he is. Uh, yeah, he is. Like, uh, and he loves the sticks. I mean, you know, he, he, he loves them. He's been a big fan of them. So he's a great dude, man. Like, he's as quality and as quality as you can come across. You know, Absolutely. Yeah, we're going to have to talk to him. We, we, we reached out to him. He's going to be coming on the podcast. We'll yep. have to ask him about the sticks and what he really thinks about them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a video coming out, like a full YouTube review of him. But cool. that's he, awesome. He's a busy dude, man. Like he's got, I have a lot going on, but he he definitely has a lot going on too. And he has a young kid. Yeah, yeah. No, so that's awesome. What I love about the sticks personally is, if you take any other stick out in the industry, you pretty much have to alter it. And you see a lot of guys now that they're always chasing ounces, and they're altering sticks. They're drilling holes in them. You know, they're putting silent tape on them because they're cold to the touch or they're loud or they're noisy. They are spending all this money on a stick and then they're putting more money into alter it where, yeah, you might be at that premium price already, but you're done. There's nothing else to do. There's no aider to add. There's no silent tape needed because it's not cold to the touch. You don't have to drill holes in them because they're already light as hell. I mean, you've kind of figured it out for people. Most people are going to look at them and be upset with you because they just like to tinker. People just like to tinker too much. You know, they get so involved in tinkering. It's like 
for crying out loud, just go out and freaking hunt. <laughs> Buy the sticks uh, for what they are. That's the product you're getting. Use them for what they were made for and go hunt. <laughs> that's my yeah. opinion. I don't know. No, no, man. Like I've had some guys uh, reach out to me that are like, hey, we love the sticks, uh, but we want to stealth strip. And I'm like, why? Well, what are you trying to do? And they're like, well, we're going to make them even quieter. I'm like, well, if that's what you want to do, if you want to spend the time, <laughs> go ahead. But, uh, like, they're quiet. And from a, you know, they are like, they are a gloss finished carbon fiber, right? Yeah. And, but deer aren't going to see that. And, like, no. I don't know how most people set up their sticks, but I'm setting my sticks up on the shadow side anyway. So yep. that's not a factor. And I had one guy, he was like, man, I want to, I want to paint them. Just because I'm concerned about the gloss, but he's like, they look so cool showing the carbon fiber. And I'm like, well, yeah, pick your passion. Um, but I was like, if you just hide them on, you know, if you do it properly and put your sticks on the, the you know, the shadow side of your, your setup, you don't have to worry about that. And I, I've had them on all sides of the setup and, uh, the deer, I have, I mean, I haven't been busted by a deer because of my sticks. I can tell no, you that. I don't um, see that being a thing. No, that's asinine. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, and, and like the quiet factor, like, you know, yeah, it could potentially make them a little bit less quiet. But like to your point, we want to deliver a product where you didn't have to put it together when you got it. Mm-hmm. And yep. it costs a little bit more to ship like that. But then you have to quite, what's your time with? Like for me, when I look at some of this DIY stuff, like my time is a value. Like I have a few businesses, I have a family, have hobbies outside of hunting that I do, and like spending my weekend or five, you know, three hours, and then paying money to buy stealth strip or whatever, and cook my sticks and put that on and make sure it's all right. Like I just much rather pay for somebody else to do that, you know. Like uh, so that's why we assemble our stuff, and like we are, you know, we have the you know, we can hook you up and add, uh, add on attachment devices, whatever you wish. Like currently we just have six millimeter rope for, uh, cam buckle straps. Mm-hmm. And we also are about to add the Genesis 3D clips. Awesome. Uh, we, just got a, we just got a bunch of those in. Those are cool. I'm a big fan uh, of Genesis 3D. Mm, yeah. Those oh, are cool. Oh man, he's such a good dude. Yeah. He's also a fan of sticks and he's an engineer. So like, he critiqued everything and put it on a granite table and like he Austin's just he's great man. He makes good products and uh so but we're adding it, you know, and you can buy the you can buy the uh stick clip from him or us at the same price. But for if you buy it from us with your sticks, we go ahead and put it on there for you. That's and awesome. That way you just get a re- you know, like if you've seen our marketing, a ready to hunt product. Yeah. Um, kind of what you guys were talking about. No, I'm I'm such a fan of that. Now, one thing we've been kind of beating around the bush with, and we keep saying that it's a premium price point. What do these sticks run, and what are the different options and, they started, and the add-ons? They started, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm excluding the micro because it's not really to the general public. Yeah, you know, just go with regular sticks. Yeah, uh, well, a twenty inch, you know, you start at 120 bucks. Okay. So now, um, how much is like an eighter for an add-on? Fifteen bucks. Fifteen bucks. Okay. Okay. And what's the yeah. twenty-four running? The twenty-four is a, I think it's one thirty-five. One thirty-five. Okay, okay, I yeah. can dig that. Yeah. Start starting it on the twenty-four is one thirty-five, and you know, like I said, it comes assembled and ready to go. You have all the testings. You know, you, you know, you have, you know, you have a ready to hunt product that's going to keep you safe. I mean, but it does feel, you know, the thing that we 
have realized and with a few people is it is an unnatural feel and even like Taylor anybody else that's tried them you know we spend a little more time and we talk about the product with them and we should have probably done a better job with some consumers but it is different feeling than what you feel with your traditional aluminum stick because you may feel a little bit of flex you know when you step up on uh on the steps of our product because yeah it's i saw doing a video its job. of that it's <clears throat> doing its job you know right and, and it was funny like what taylor said was um he's like you know it feels like i have less foot fatigue climbing in these you know I, and he's like, I never felt uncomfortable, but like after hunting in these, he's like, you know, you don't feel that stress. You know, have you ever stood on like a really thin aluminum step? Like you just feel that fatigue in your arch? Oh, yeah, man. Like where you're trying to hang the lock on or something? <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I'm not going to say we completely like fix that, but you're not going to get near as much of that with our parts. It's a, it's a wider step. And then it also has a little flex and bend to it. So. Yeah, I like it. looks It looks really stout though, too. That's what I like about it. It's so light, but it it doesn't look like this little tiny flimsy step. And it's not just. It looks like it's it's machined. It's just this big old step that you can put both feet on and feel feel really comfortable. But you know, you're still at that one point two, one point four yeah. pound range. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you know, and that's a thing that we received feedback from customers about was when they got them and took them out of the package, it didn't feel real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, like, and it scare it scares them. Like they just don't think it can, it, it you know, the, there's 17 inch aluminum sticks out there. They're only like, what, five ounces, six ounces more than ours. But the balance of our product is so much different. Like if you grab it, like the bat, it's just, the weight's just in the, in the component, so it just feels balanced in your hand. It, it, it just, you have to like just feel it to believe it, like how it feels. And that's the biggest thing we get from people is like, man, I just, this thing doesn't feel real and it doesn't feel safe. Like, uh, one guy that bought him, he was talking about climbing up with them attached to his harness, uh, or not his harness, but his saddle. Mm-hmm. And he kept thinking they had fallen off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, but he kept looking over and they were there. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not trying to be biased, but it's shocking to me to hear some of the people that have used our products. And we have a lot of pretty quality people that have, you know, known people in the industry that might disclose their name would be using them and right. more of that would be released soon. But they're also have been pretty astonished about it, like how they operate and they're, they lock into the tree. Like if you've ever seen any video I do, I don't preset it. And then take the rope off to show that it's there. Like I can lock that thing into the tree with just my hand, and then put the rope around. Yeah, they bite real and nice. And take my hand off of it. You yeah. Know? yeah, I noticed that. I've watched quite a few videos on them. I've been pretty interested in them for a while, and you know, seeing them bite on that tree and really just overall the whole stick itself, I've been incredibly impressed by it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, and one other thing we do, yeah, just what we went with a little bit shorter standoff. And we do that for a couple of reasons. One is it helps you maintain the balance of the stick when it grips to where you don't have as much of an issue with kickoff from the bottom. But also, any, I have never seen, to my knowledge, 
a picture of a step failing on a stick. If you see a failure on a stick, no matter the company, which a lot of them have them, is the standoff starts bending away from, you know, it starts bending because of, of the bolt they use or the standoff itself bends, right? Mm-hmm. You will never see that happen with our buck. I'll guarantee that. Um, cause we do run a little bit shorter and we also use a five sixteenths, uh, grade eight bolt that threads Excellent. all the way through. So like it's as solid as you can get. Like that will, that will never happen. Like when our product did fail after all that test, I was saying it's 606 pounds. The only thing it failed was, uh, and for them, a failure is like if you lose composition completely, mm-hmm. uh, our step started bending more than where they, where their parameters were. Okay. And it didn't like spin around or completely blow up. It just moved. And that's, that's where the failure happened. The standoff of our product is, it's as solid as you can get. I feel like that's pretty important to throw in there too. Like really tell people like the stick didn't actually, um, it failed by the standards, but it didn't actually fail. It didn't break. It didn't. Fall yeah. apart. You wouldn't have fallen off the tree. Right. <laughs> yeah, it, it didn't, it didn't fa- fail like when people talk, you know, people's concern with carbon fiber. They think carbon fiber is like glass. It's mm-hmm. not shattered. It's not glass. Like, it's even very strong. Start, even in the vent, like, you'd crack something, threw it down, run over your truck. It's not going to explode. It's just going to kind of slowly crumble if it does fail. I mean, I've seen that from racing bicycles from aluminum to carbon fiber. Yeah. Um, I've crashed and broken both. And, you know, I would say carbon fiber probably was the easier crash. Like, far as the bike, like, not on me, but the bike, how it, it blew up under it was different. Uh, it splintered and, like, kind of just frailed and expanded. Whereas, like, when the, the aluminum, it completely cracks and snaps. Right. Yeah. Right. Definitely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So I heard a couple words you mentioned earlier about a uh, camera arm. So I did too. Uh, <laughs> you got a yeah. couple other products too. You got a, a lock on in the works as well, right? Yeah, we have two products we're, we're pushing really hard to get um, launched and ready to sell for most people's hunting season. I guess that's a, that's the easiest way to put it because everybody's white tail season varies, right? So Correct. our camera arm. Uh, is almost the production model is almost ready. Uh, we're just, we, we had played and tested with a very rough edition and, um, worked with some engineers to make it more sleek and robust. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, that doesn't require any type of testing outside, of, you know, I mean, it's not like say yeah. testing. It's just, it was already doing what it was supposed to do under our, our, our configuration and we just made it better. Yeah. And so that should be ready pretty soon. Uh, it's a very compact. It's, it's, it's more targeted. It's targeted towards the mobile self filmers than like a guy that, uh, has a cameraman. Like, right. I well, think hey, that's awesome. Really yeah. safe. I mean, really solid. And it came from, Feedback from Jordan, who's part of the uh, Timber Ninja Outdoors, has been filming for 20 years, and also Taylor put a lot of input in on what he liked as a self filmer and as a mobile guy. Uh, so we're going to deliver 
a great product for that. I mean, I still think like if you're looking for the most robust, best system, but also comes with a little extra weight, like you can't beat beat Fourth Era. You know, like they have like everything a, a filmer wants, right? They have so many different options there. Mm-hmm. Ours is going to be more targeted towards you know, like our company ethos, the mobile hunter. Yeah. Uh, so the guy that sells films, and yeah, and we have a lock on full carbon stand that's almost done. Like, if you look at any marketing pictures of me standing in a uh, locked on, that's the, the kind of the version that may not make it to market. It's a hybrid. It's not full carbon. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, it may come in at some point as a price point. Yeah. But um, really, we we were going to release that, but the ultimate goal was the full carbon, and we've been able to make some connections and invest some money there to get that going. So it, it I should have the production prototype by the time I get back from Alaska, about the end of August. Wow, so. that's uh, awesome! Now, like, I don't know if you can do any spoiler or anything on it, but <laughs> what's that stand kind of gonna come in as a range? Like, what what kind of uh, weight and stuff are we talking about? It's a it's a gen- the general platform size, it's 18 by 24. Okay. 24, 20 inch post with a common size seat. Uh, and it, right now it's hitting right on five pounds. Oh, Jeez. man. Unbelievable. Yeah. Man, I was I, just going to mention, like, you're talking about just, you know, just a stick worth of carbon fiber. Now you're going to make it into an entire stand. Like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. The only thing that, yeah, I mean, I mean, we're, Everything should, I mean, everything's put into this engineering model that can test the strength and everything. And we put all the components that are going to be on it. I mean, there may be a little bit of fudge factor that goes down. Yeah. I mean, we're pushing to go down, but there may be a little fluff that goes up, but it won't be much more than that. So our, our goal is that we could deliver a system on, you know, right at 10 pounds with four sticks and, uh, and a lock-on stand. That's and, the dream right there, man. Yeah, that's impressive. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, I mean, for a lock-on hunter like myself, and I mean, like, I'm not trying to, like, teaser anybody. Like, we're a very transparent company. Um, yeah. So, I don't really play into the build-up. I mean, we'll start doing some build-up with pitchers, but, I mean, this, this is what we're working on and we're trying to achieve, and we just, you know, and we're not stopping here. That's our, that's our thing, is we're going to continue to innovate. Like, you, 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 you can't base your company off just a few products. You know, you got to keep pushing the envelope. I mean, in my mind, I'm already on generation two of what we can do with sticks, you know, or in, in other oh, That's awesome. That is absolutely incredible. So not to change the subject entirely, but there's a couple of things we like to do on here. And, you know, I kind of want to know how your last season was and kind of what you got going forward. Uh, man, last season was, uh, it was a great season for me in some areas. Like I saw more bucks, uh, I saw more mature bucks than I've seen probably in a couple of years. And I, you know, I don't, I not talk much about hunting background, but I'm primarily 90% hunt all public land and I travel around. Nice. And most of the places I go to is I go in blind and, um, I'm also a, a, a traditional, I'm a single string shooter. So. Uh, as of the last two years and the last year I had 
five encounters with uh, bucks over, you know, Pope and Young on public land, first time being in there. But I didn't, I didn't get an arrow in any of them. So um, I had to readjust my patterns for this year. But I did kill a, a big monster doe with my 40-pound longbow early season. So that was that was a... Uh, that was an achievement with that bow because that was the first bow I was longbow hunting with. Hey, that's a win and, in my uh, book, man. Heck yeah. <laughs> All day. Oh, uh, it's fun, man. Uh, and then my elk season was, it was rough, man. We went in a time, we like going in early season and catching like right when they start beagling for locating, but also being able to identify their, they're going to stay in their home range a little mm-hmm. better. Right. And last year it was just hot and we got a little skunk. Uh, we had a few encounters, but some of them were sneaky encounters. And my hunting partner, who I'm going to last with, he, uh, he did get a arrow into a really nice herd bull, uh, on like two days before the last day. And unfortunately we weren't able to retrieve him. But, um, but this season, man, like, uh, you know, I look at, in my opinion, you know, I don't look at anything like a kill as the complete success. I look at a kill as the icing on the cake. Like if I'm able to find mature animals in the way I hunt in my style, I feel that's like the first level of achievement. Absolutely. Like, I, mean, I mean, growing up, like I know so many guys I talked to seeing a hundred, you know, Pope and Young class deer, they may see two in their life. And if you're able to see that many in a year, like, that's a great achievement to me. Like, and the whole experience of going and hunting, like, a dude, that's the adventure part, and that, that satisfies me. But so the killing is like essentially the icing on the cake, you know, per se. Um, but this year I have, I have some pretty decent goals. Like, um, I'm going to Alaska for the first time, leaving on the fifth, and I'm trying to, get a caribou with my longbow, but I am carrying my rifle. I'm not that much of a purist. Like yeah. <laughs> I see a really good bull, good bull, uh, at 300 yards, you know, uh, I'm not going to waste my time. You know? <laughs> I can't uh, blame you there. Man. I like that. But if I saw a lesser immature bull at 20 with my longbow, I would be keen on taking it with my longbow. Um, so, we we're going to do that. And then this will be the first year in four years that I haven't been able to hunt whitetails in September here in the mountains in North Carolina because our season opens in uh, September. So we do get opportunities at velvet bucks and I killed a velvet buck, uh, four years ago. Last year I got to hunt in September. I killed my first velvet buck, velvet buck then. And I had four really good bucks here, uh, in the mountains that no live from last year that I'm, uh, been got some cameras out looking for and hoping to find those in velvet in September. And then I have, I'm hunting with, um, my buddy Heath Jolly. I don't know if you guys know about Heath Jolly budget buck outdoors, but he has a pretty long standing public land hunting page. And we're doing a lot of hunting together this year and filming in Virginia and West Virginia. Uh, so I'm going to try to get some bucks down there. Uh, with bow or maybe go muzzleload hunt this year, which I haven't done in a few years because the Virginia rut falls like, uh, open weekend muzzleload season for them, like that first week in November. So 
trying to do some cool stuff with that. No, that's awesome, man. Those are some good goals to really look forward to. You know, I hope you just absolutely slam a giant in Alaska with your cool. longbow. That would be cool. That, that would, would be, be awesome. <laughs> that would be really cool, man. Um, but if it doesn't happen, you know, I'm able to get on something with my rifle. I'm not going to cry about it. No, no I'm not going to blame you. <laughs> no, I'm not going to blame you either. And you know what? Just really enjoy the experience as it is, you know. Yeah. Well, mm. here, here's something that doesn't doesn't add up to me, Jason. <laughs> so you're kind of a madman because I think about this whole new heavy arrow craze that's going on right now, right? Everyone's all about you know you got to build a heavy arrow, you got to have high FOC, and I'm I'm down with that. I I understand it, but I kind of like to keep my arrow a little lighter because we hunt a lot of big mountainous woods where you can see a hundred to two hundred yards straight through some big pine. Um, areas, uh-huh. right? Kind of the same areas you're hunting up there. So I like to take longer shots because those shots typically present themselves up here. And you go <laughs> and hunt that same area and go the opposite direction and switch to a trad bow like an absolute madman and limit yourself to short shots. And which I don't know North Carolina that well, but from what you're telling me, like the, the same big woods as we face. It's hard to get them in close because they can go anywhere they want. They can walk 50 yards over here. They can walk 50 yards over there. You know, they can go wherever they want. So I, I'm impressed that you even your first true year last year and with a trad bow, you got a giant nanny doe, which is hard to get them close and get them killed. Well, I mean, I mean, when I went to the traditional bow, the reason I went that route was simplicity. Um, I do a fair amount of hunting. Uh, out west and other places where I didn't, you know, equipment failure could be ruin my hunt, you know, whereas equipment failure, like, you know, what can happen with a stick boat, right? Your string more commonly can get popped and you can carry one, you can fix it in the field. Uh, but also, like, I've killed, man, I don't know, 50 to, 50 to 75 animals at least with a, with a, with a bow. And I started looking at, what my average shot shot distance was, and it was under twenty yards. Okay. Uh, so like, I'm very accurate. Well, I shoot all the time. That's the thing with a trad bow is like, I can still pick up a compound. Not saying I'm like some John Dudley or somebody, but I can <laughs> put them in there at fifty yards. Even I pick up a compound right now because I've been shooting my whole life, mm-hmm. and I know my shot sequence. And I took that same shot sequence and put it into the traditional bow and but now my my barrier is smaller but i still do the same exercises i did with the compound i still try to shoot longer range outside of my comfort zone to make me solid in in this short zone uh because you know with a white tail i wouldn't you know those deer i was telling you about last year uh they were all in 35 yards and it's not like i saw one you know bouncing over another ridge at 200 in the big woods all right. these deer that i talked about last year were in 35 yard yard range um but my comfort zone on a whitetail is 25 of my stick bow nice uh, but an elk or a larger game animal like that is not as um cagey i'm comfortable shooting them at 45 and i've practiced 45 plus i haven't been practicing as much that distance this year because and I, well, also I moved from 
being out at on the national forest back into town, so I don't have the distance to go consistently, but I still go out there and shoot 45 to 50 yards with my stick bow. But right now I've been honing in on 25 because even with the caribou, that's kind of like, you know, caribou is only a little bit larger in body size than a mule deer, which is, you know, not that much bigger than a whitetail, immature whitetail. So I still feel that that range is going to be good, but I'd shoot a caribou at I, I'd be confident you know, care a bit 35, 40 yards. Um, but talking about the light, I mean, the heavy arrow stuff, I've been shooting heavy arrows for a long time, uh, but didn't start there. I mean, I grew up shooting, uh, went through the transition when people used to shoot, you know, six inch overdraws with aluminum arrows. Yeah. With broad, you know, so broadheads were back well beyond your, your arm, you know, your bow arm. Uh, I killed deer doing that, but I killed and had a lot more successful blood trails when I went to shooting heavy arrows years ago. And I've always, even when I shot at Comptown, I shot, you know, around 500, 525 out of a 70 pound, 70 pound bow. But, and I kept my front end weight. I don't care about, I don't play with, I don't care about FOC at all. I, I like to have, at least 200 grains up front is my, my sweet spot. And with my compound, you know, in that five to 525 range of my, my last compound I shot was obsession. So they shoot pretty fast regardless, but I was, you know, I was dropping bombs 70 yards and I was more, I was more accurate at that distance with the heavier arrow because in my opinion, it's a little bit more for, uh, forgiving, but you know, if you're hunting out west, hunting mule deer or something like that, you do have to take into consideration some of the wind and stuff. And sure. Certainly. You know, fixed blade and stuff, you know, depending on the head you're shooting, like, can play a little bit of a drift. But, um, I don't know. My opinion on any bow is a, or any arrow setup, sorry. Two holes is better than one, in my opinion. Uh, heavier arrow. It's going to be a quieter bow, which I feel a quieter bow is a deadlier bow. And also a heavier arrow is more forgiving. Yeah, I, I definitely do like the heavy arrow, a heavy arrow. I'm, I'm working on that as well. Um, it's just finding that sweet spot, I guess. Um, still yes. a little ignorant to it as well, you know, so. Well, I'll tell you, man, my, my hunting partner hunts out west with me. We, we killed a, um, we killed a, a bull elk a few years ago with his, he shot it with a 60 pound, 65 pound bow, 400 grain arrow with a, uh, schwacker and penetrated through the scapula on the bull. So shit happens, you know, like, I wouldn't have thought <laughs> yeah. that would happen, but I, yeah. I personally witnessed it. And, but I've also seen the complete opposite of that, you sure. know, with the same setup, but. Uh, you know, things happen, man. And I, I'd have to argue, like, I think a white tail is tougher than elk. You know, even though it's a smaller animal, white tails are very tough They are very tough. They're, they're wiry. <laughs> they <laughs> want to live. <laughs> but I will say, I killed a black bear last year. I shot compound. I was shooting uh, a black eagle Spartan arrow with a hunter green slick trick with a brass insert with 75 50 or 75 grains of 
screwing in uh, brass on the backside of that. And I blew through both shoulders oh. on that bear and broke both of them and came out the other side, which is, you know, a bear, a bear, if you're looking at a bear's shoulders and stuff, they're built like stovepipes or yeah. solid. And they say you can't do it. I, I blew through both of those <laughs> and broke the bear down and, you know, it died, you know, not far after that, but yeah. completely broke it down in the front end when I shot it. And, and people talk trash about, uh, you know, and I am a proponent for, solid fixed blade but people talk trash about these manufactured razor blade styles like a you know like a, a slick trick or something but mm-hmm. when that thing came out it only had nicks on the blade there was no yeah. like blade fill at all like it would blew right through that bear that's impressive man that's really impressive so you know one thing we like to do we're, we're getting a little bit closer on time here yeah, you're good. But one thing we really like to hear from our guests is their favorite hunting story. You know, whether it's your maybe your first year, maybe it's your first year with a bow. You know, maybe it's your biggest buck. You know, what what's your favorite hunting story that you have? Can you do that? I'm putting uh, you on yeah, the spot man. a little bit. You know, you got to pick. It's gonna. <laughs> yeah, it's really tough. Yeah, we like the details too, man. It could be your bear. You know, you yeah. never know. Yeah. Oh uh, man, I don't. I'll... I will have to say, like, always my favorite is going to be my first. Okay. Yeah, I'm down for that. It's really funny. Like, you know, so I, you know, where I grew up and the age I grew up, maybe like my grandfather who started taking me hunting, uh, we, he was just kind of a hard nosed guy. So I, I was seven years old and they, we, we were in a lease at that point. Like, it was one year we were in a lease and it was like crappy. Like, uh, timber type lease. It was like a hundred dollars a member. Nice. And, you know, it was very cheap. A lot of deer, but there was, you know, I don't, my grandfather, I think, killed the biggest deer there and it was like a 14 inch inside spread eight. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I was seven years old. I had a Marlin 3030 and I was so pumped. Like I had only been hunting with him growing up, uh, in the stand with him, just sitting there shadowing. And this is the first year I had by myself. I mean, get to hunt with my own gun, but also he put me out there by myself. Yeah. Uh, at seven. And I remember that morning we get to the tree and back then, you know, like a lot of people, especially rifle hunters, we hunted out of box stands and it was, um, you know, two by fours nailed to the tree going up to like a wooden box stand built in a Y type scenario. I don't know if you ever experienced that. Oh yeah. yeah. We're all but, over. that is everywhere up here. <laughs> yeah. But they also were built for men. So I was seven years old and I remember like I had my gun on a rope and my grandfather was sitting down at the bottom with a four wheeler and uh you know he was shining a light. I didn't have my own flashlight. And he was shining the light up there so I could see going up this tree. And I was literally having to do a pull up to get my feet up. And I was going. And I remember the last step to the stand was so, like, I had to pretty much get my arms up there and reach for whatever I could and start scrambling my body up into this bog stand. Oh, man. And, uh, and I'd never been in this stand before. It's the first time I ever climbed into it. But, you know, it's just kind of how we were raised at that age, like, you just do it. And that's how my grandfather was brought up. And I remember, um, getting up there and there's a bucket in the stand. You sit on the bucket. My grandfather was like, Hey, stay here and until I come get you. Or, you know, if I hear you shoot, I'll come get you. I'll come get, come back here. Well, 
just a precursor. My grandfather was deaf in one year and had a hearing aid in the other or something like that. Oh, yeah. Or a fight. And, uh, <laughs> and so I remember daylight happening and I'm sitting in this stand and I'm just chilling out and it was cold as crap. And back in that time, you know, the hunting clothes, especially for kids, was not near what it was now. Like I was in rubber boots and cotton, double layer cotton socks, like everything that we talk about, you don't do these days. And wearing like some walls, insulated coveralls with <laughs> nice. cotton lawn johns. And <laughs> I was just freezing cold the whole morning. And I was sitting in this bucket and I remember looking down and there's naked women magazines in the floor. <laughs> you know? like, and I, like at that age, I didn't know what it was, but I was like, wow, this is something you're supposed to see. And, uh, I'm sitting there and only thing I had, I didn't. He didn't care anymore. He gave me a Snickers bar, and I've been sitting there for a little while. And the one thing he had told me, he's like, you know, if you see a deer, shoot it. And he's like, shoot it until it doesn't move. <laughs> and we were hunting over a corn feeders there, and it was like, you know, like timber cut property. And uh, I was sitting there, and, you know, time went by. It was probably like, well, this time it was like maybe 8 o'clock. And... I was getting hungry and probably just bored, you know. Oh, yeah. So I get that, I get the, I get that Snickers bar out and I start trying to chew on it and it's frozen solid. And I'm just sitting there holding it and you know how it is with a frozen Snickers bar, slobber starts coming out. <laughs> coming out. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I remember, and I still use this to this point and I always think it's a good luck charm because I still carry Snickers bars is, um, I was sitting there chilling out and I heard something come and I looked. And there's a doe coming through there. Ooh. And, you know, my heart starts going. I still have this Snickers bar hanging out of the corner of my mouth. And, like, slobber's running down. I remember this. And, like, she's coming in. And I grab my 30-30. I had 30-30 Marlin scope. And I pull it up. And she gets there. And, I, and I'm and i i pretty confident I never let that Snickers bar leave my mouth. Because I couldn't, like, <laughs> chew all the way through because it was frozen. But it was, I just remember that, that slobber and chocolate running down my face. And... I shoot and she like jumps and falls and I rack another round and I shoot again and she keeps moving. I end up like putting five bullets in this, this dough. Oh man. Uh, just cause every time she'd move, I'd pop it again. Cause that's what he yeah. told me to do. I'm, yeah. yeah you don't know any better. You're seven. You do, what you're, to- you do <laughs> what you're told to do. And you know, and it wasn't a big dough and I probably had more lead in her than she weighed uh, <laughs> at the end of it. But I remember sitting there and I was waiting and I was so pumped up, you know, like this is, Adrenaline was going through the roof, and I was like, "Where's my granddad? He's not coming out here." The four wheeler, and then it dawned on me. I was like, "Well, he probably can't even hear." So <laughs> I like, I go to climb out of this like rickety stand, and like, luckily I didn't fall, you know, because I was like essentially having to like regress on a pull up to get my feet to like toes that were already cold, trying to touch the top of the next step, you know. It was, like, yeah, it was super adrenaline. You're probably shaking <laughs> out of your boots. Like you know, like Sylvester <laughs> Stallone. Um, and I get down and I go down there and like, he looks, he's like, what are you doing down here already? I was like, I just shot like five times. I said, you can hear me. Cause he's only like 150, 200 yards down through there. Like he couldn't see me. Uh, it may have been further than that. Oh man. He was super deaf. <laughs> oh dude. He was so deaf. Like I have so many stories. Like we, I was a, he loved duck hunting, but couldn't duck call and he couldn't hear the ducks. You know, he could see him. And that's, that's why I learned to start duck calling at like eight. Is because my grandfather loved it, but I could hear and he couldn't. So I was the only one that could learn to call. That's beautiful. Um, yeah, man. So I, you know, and that's what 
at the end of the day, that's what keeps me going. And, and that's what I say is, if I don't get pumped that way with animals anymore, I don't think I have, I don't think I have a place out there. You know, Does I that couldn't make sense? agree like, more, man. I couldn't and, agree more. And dude, like I, when I killed my first deer with the stick bow going from the compound, like the first animal I killed with it, you know, it was a doe and I was shaking just like it was like mm-hmm. a, you know, a mature buck out in front of me that I've killed with a compound, before, you know, many times before. Like that doe gave me that same feeling with that stick yeah. bow, and I was that like, "That's what really means." Like, if we we miss that stuff, man, like I don't think we have any reason to be in the woods if we get that stoked on something, you know, because we're doing it for the wrong reason. Yep, yep, that's been instilled in me from day one. Um, you know, when you stop getting that feeling, it's time to hang it up and you're you're done hunting because there's no point of hunting anymore. And I, I love that when you went to the trad bow and you got your first kill, it, oh. it brought you back to that first high that you that you always chase you know and and hunting you're always chasing that first high you know but for me i get all shook up over anything (laughs) anything even with a bow you know i get shook up pretty bad it's it's like what people i mean it's like what heroin users talk about and it's hard to explain to people that haven't experienced it but i've taken a lot of new hunters that are in the mid-30s that would have been borderline anti-hunter before and when they get that sense and see the animal they know they're hunting and they get that adrenaline rush, it just blows their mind. Yeah. And, it, mm-hmm. and I mean, that's why when people spend so much money on this shit, right? That's why <laughs> yeah. I'm able to sell high, you know, like we're, we're not robbing the market with our products. Like, you know, we're not making out like bandits on it, but like that's why people are willing to spend the money. And like my son just got his first, he's been shooting a compound since he was probably four or five. And yeah. one of our, a friend I've made through the hunting industry that's a trad bow hunter, uh, or, uh, sent my son his first left-handed trad bow. I just yesterday. saw that. Yeah. yeah that was pretty cool. Yeah. That was awesome. That was pretty cool. Dude, my little boy, he has a blister on his bow hand today because he shot that thing so much. Yeah. You <laughs> said he shot like over a hundred times or something like he that. He did it yesterday. Days, consistently. He's like, dad, I don't even, I want to get rid of my compound, but this is the thing. And I'm like, I mean, man, it's in our DNA. You know, it's like yeah. in the, it's it, it, it's it's just anthropology, you know. It's yeah. hunter gathered, so it's instinctual, and and that's why, like, I encourage anybody that wants to go to try traditional bows for the right reason. That once you clicks with you, man, it's 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 something different because, in uh, you know, it's just funny watching my son. He's so stoked in the difference. It's like it is very primal, and I hate to sound all hippie, but uh, <laughs> if you try it out or, or any of this you know we're all predator prey type scenarios so like you're able to trick an animal and kill it with, you know with your own means and eat it and do all that like it's like eating the heart you know on a back you know have to for me like i'm doing a backpack hunting trip and you kill something and you, you eat it right then you eat the heart whatever you, whatever part it feels that much different in your soul you know i'm with you man yeah, I'm totally yeah. with you. And Chuck here, he's not a fan of taking the heart, so I take all his hearts. No, no, no. I've learned. <laughs> oh, I you've learned. learned I have learned <laughs> that they Dude, are you, easy to clean and they eat good. They eat good, and if you like, I'm not a huge fan of eating liver. But if you take that first night on a campfire and you slice some heart and liver, I don't know, man. Like, I almost want to do a war cry after eating that on the fire. Like, it just, <laughs> yeah. it just gets down in your bones. It's you know? so good, like, man. <laughs> but if I cook uh, that same stuff in my house, like, it has to be on the campfire because I cooked it in my house. Like, 
not I'm the not same. That stoked on liver, man. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But if I do it out there over the open fire, it's just like, especially after you've been on a backpack hunt and you haven't eaten the way you normally do for a few days and you eat that stuff. You've just, been eating Mountain House, and <laughs> I know it's like spiritual, dude. It's like yeah. some type of you know micro dosing of. Psychedelics or something. You're rubbing <laughs> blood under your eyes and <laughs> yeah, exactly. down your face. Just roll around in it. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Yeah. I love that. Nah, you said it good too, like about new hunters, you know, when they finally realize that they're coming in contact with the animal they're hunting. It's funny because think about it even um in in my world, I think of it in anything I'm hunting. So I could walk outside my house right now and see a dozen rabbits in my yard and it's like I'll, I'll let my beagle out to go chase them, but I don't get all pumped up. But if I'm hunting rabbits and, and that beagle's making his turn and he's hounding, you know, he's howling and he's coming oh, yeah. around, I'm getting fired up. You know, I'm getting that adrenaline, that adrenaline rush over a little rabbit, but it's just like, that's my target animal, you know, at that time. So I get, I get fired up over it. Oh, dude. Yeah. I mean, that. We used to do squirrel camp every year in the summer, and I get stoked on squirrel camp. And I still, my son likes squirrel hunting, so I get really pumped. And I have bird dogs I bird hunt, and we still duck hunt some. And I, I've got a younger bird dog now; he's two. And dude, just the level of stoke he gets over any bird, you know, it's just like it just shows you how primal it is. Like yeah. he, he lets out this kill bark. You know, he's a, a, a Dutch drop art, which is they kill point. They do all these things and. Just when he sees something, he lets out this weird little yip bark. It's called, it's like the prey bark, is what they call it. And like, it just shows how stoked he is. And, and, and we all get that, you know, like that's yeah. what keeps us like year round looking at. I mean, I'm sure you guys remember when you were, before we had all this social media and other outlets to see hunting throughout the year after hunting season was over, you know, you just think about it every single day. Until it happened again. Why know? do you and think you we started and, podcasting, and then, man? <laughs> yeah, I know. You just couldn't sleep the nights before. before Feel the void. You know, opener, and it's just, I still get that pump, man. And I'm 40, and yeah. I don't want it to go away. I'm so right there with you, man. Yeah. Well, let's let's wrap this thing up, man. I, yeah. I really appreciate you coming on, and this yeah, was a all, fantastic episode. I had so much fun. Um, why don't you let everyone out there know where they can find you? Uh, so you can find us on social media platforms at Timber Ninja Outdoors. We are on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Our YouTube, you know, isn't just about our products. We do some, uh, product reviews, backpack dumps, uh, about to release one on, um, you know, getting ready for a, um, you know, multi-day backpack on. I'm going to do my, um, Alaska trip pack dump and also Jordan, who's a part of the Timber Ninja team and partner. He's going to do a dump on his, um, elk hunt. So, you know, we're just trying to do more education. We also have our little public land cribs, uh, series we're doing that's breaking down different people's, uh, rigs that travel and hunt, uh, how they sleep, you know, on public land. So very cool. We've had a few series, like one's my rut wagon. I have a, converted sprinter and we have Stephen drake i don't know if y'all follow him but he has his and we're about to do release one on our buddy uh heath jolly and his rig and uh, i think we'll be getting sam soho doing a review of his rig the public uh, land boss nice 
Well, his new van. Oh, the van. Yeah, the I did van. see the van. Yeah. 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 He's, uh, we're actually, he's going to be using our sticks. So he's, we're going to get a video off him hopefully in the near future. And then, um, our website's, uh, timberninjaoutdoors.com. That's where all the goods are, which we're loading more stuff, man. And we have more stuff outside of the hunting products that we're going to be releasing that, uh, relate more for mobile hunting setups, you know, getting in the field and out of the field, just different accessories and stuff that we want to uh, add on there too to be a, you know, kind of help people bundle the orders together and get combined shipping and things like that. That is absolutely awesome, man. Yeah, man. And we're big on conservation. So, um, one thing we didn't talk about is a percentage of all of our proceeds, uh, will be going back to conservation, which we have a pretty big announcement about to roll out about a joint partnership on some conservation that we're really stoked about. So nice. I think other people should be too. That's yeah. awesome, yeah. man. I wanted to get to that. We just kind of <laughs> rushed through some topics today. So I apologize for that, but I definitely wanted to get to that because that's huge. That and your customer service. I know you guys pride yourself on those two things, which yeah, is Yeah, customer huge. service is big for us, man. Like, uh, and it's always going to be, I mean, I have 16 years in sales and customer service and, you know, even if we're running behind, we're, we're very transparent. I'll tell you what's going on. And we communicate frequently because it's tough as a small business to stay on top of, you know, you can't gauge demand. Like there's no, there's no system that, you know, perfects that algorithm, but uh, we're, we want to be very communicative and forthcoming and, Conservation is big with us and also hunter recruitment's really solid in our minds because, you know, that's what we keep losing. Uh, every year is yep. hunter, we, more hunters. I mean, I have a buddy that's a whitetail biologist for Ohio and even though it looks like the lands are swarmed, like overall hunter license sales are down drastically in some of these states. So hunter recruitment, it has to be a big portion of what we're doing. It, but it, and you're probably going to hear more about this from other organizations too, but we love kids and we definitely want to educate the kids, but we also have to start educating the 30 somethings. I mean, that's where I see most of the people that come to me who want to be mentored or in their mid thirties more yeah. than like kids, to be honest. And yeah. I think that's a good crowd to connect with. And, you know, and they may not be the common people that you're used to seeing in the woods. So you have to be open minded to that and understand that we're all hunters, you know, and we all have a common goal. No, I'm right there with you, man. I'm right there with you. And that's kind of sort of similar to what we see too. Like we get some guys out in the outdoors and they're kind of our age and, you know, we get, we try and get kids and stuff involved too. But, you know, I feel like the majority of what we do is, is guys our age yeah. and, and, and as adult onset yeah. hunters, they're, that's yeah. huge. It's a big part of yep. bringing in, introducing people, well, getting people on our side. I know, I know Taylor was telling me he did a, he does some mentorship programs, I think through PDMA or some up in his area. And, He's like, dude, you know, like, there's multiple guys that pull up these workshops that are stoked and they're driving Priuses, you know? <laughs> like, I mean, but hey, it is what it is, you know? I, heck, the hunting public, they, those boys, you know, great dudes and strap deer on top of, you know, sedans all the time, you know? So <laughs> yeah. don't the let smurf. The, you, know, you don't have to have a jacked up F- F-250 to be a hunter. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Like, we're all, we all have the same motive and, we may have different reasons to go about it, but at the end of the day, we all have to work together to make this work. Heck yeah, man. I couldn't agree more, man. We'll, said it well, Jason. We'll put it at that, man. Thank you so yeah, much for taking time out of your day and coming on oh, and talking man. to two random dudes from Pennsylvania, <laughs> man. Yeah, no, man. I appreciate you guys, man. I'm planning to try to get to Pennsylvania, you know, uh, 
I want to do that sometime soon. Well, Bo we have sent a, me some pictures of some of the bucks he had yep. out there. Just, I'm have to come for a Don't listen later. to Bo. Bo's got small bucks on his side of the state. You come take. We'll take care of you. Okay. You yeah, come to our side of the state. <laughs> I, I didn't come over that way. Every year I look at. Every year I try to knock a state off in Pennsylvania's. I haven't done yet. So well. Um, Let's try to make it happen. You I, let us know. Fun, we Not, got you guys are always welcome here. Hell yeah, man! I, I might I might reach out to you next turkey season. I'm I might I might think about coming down there and meeting up oh, with yeah. you. Turkey hunting's my thing. Dude. We could spend a whole we could spend hell hours yeah. talking about turkey. Hell hunting. yeah! Let's do it. I I think that'd be a good time. But we, yeah, we, still, we'll, we'll definitely uh, yes yes we'll connect and make something happen. No doubt. Yeah. All right, man. Well, thanks again. Really appreciate yeah. it. You do have a, an absolute phenomenal product, and we're glad to have you on. So thanks again, yeah, man. Thank you all. We appreciate it. Absolutely. One thing I would say, guys, seasons are starting up. Seasons are coming. If you guys are looking for a really lightweight climbing stick, they have a couple different models. Go check them out. Head over to Timber Ninja Outdoors. Check out the climbing sticks. Go over on their social media Facebook, Instagram, give them some love. Check out the website. You know, if you guys are looking for a climbing stick, it's a great option. Not swaying you one way or another, but they're pretty light. If you like saddle hunting, lightweight is the way you want to go. These sticks are for you. Even if you just want to hang on set with some nice sticks, you know, get on them, guys. They are freaking awesome. As always, it is greatly appreciated if you guys would head over to iTunes and give us a five-star review. It would be so appreciated. It helps us so much find listeners like you. Always, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, sometimes go wild, Twitter, <laughs> all at the Whitetail Distraction Podcast. Twitter, it's the WD Podcast. And, you know, we love you guys. Thank you so much for listening to us week in and week out. It totally blows my mind that you guys listen to us <laughs> just like constantly. And it, it it's very humbling for us. And another huge shout out to Tommy Mulvena for reaching out to us on Instagram. You, you're the man. We, we appreciate you uh, showing some support, man. All right, guys. Until next week, the distraction's real.